today uh, we're going to be continuing kind of our series. Uh, I've Failed to mention earlier, and we didn't uh, cue David and Susie. I really appreciate their good spirits about that. Um, uh, and if you are a guest with us today, uh, after the service, you can take that little card that you filled out, and uh, we have a brand new kind of guest central uh, that we've moved. We kind of have a soft opening today. Uh, I'd love to meet you uh, after the service uh, just outside uh, there to your left, my right, uh, is our guest central. I would love to get a, have the chance to get to know you and, and meet you, and so stop by there on your way out as you head to the guest parking, uh, which is right over there now. Uh, I do want to tell you about a couple things before we get started. If you got your Bible today, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 100. Uh, and as you're doing that, um, in two weeks, uh, prayerfully, uh, you, uh, for all members, uh, you will have in your hands a ballot uh, as we look for our next worship minister, uh, it's been a joy to have Brandon and Dylan and others uh, help us lead in this interim time. We're so thankful for them. Uh, but we uh, want to vote on the team uh, who will search for our new worship minister. And so prayerfully on September 24th, uh, we'll have those names to you and you'll vote. We'll give you all the instructions then, but just so you have that in the back of your mind uh, for two weeks. But uh, these next few weeks, last week, this week, and next week. Uh, we're looking at kind of who we are as a church. Uh, last week, we talked about our mission statement, kind of the, the foundation of who we are as First Baptist Friendswood, uh, which is uh, leading people to experience the fullness of life in Christ. Uh, that we want to help people understand the difference from, from what the world says is a full life. Uh, lots of stuff and uh, good things, great job, and kids that we tell everybody you're perfect on social media, uh, to a life with Jesus Christ that offers abundance and peace and joy, forgiveness and grace and purpose. Uh, and, and, and as we do that, we, we want to find some ways, some, some real practical ways to help people do that. So that is our mission, is to lead people to experience the fullness of life in Christ. But how do you do that? Well, we believe the scripture kind of zeroes in on four key things, and we're going to look at two of those ideas today. Uh, you might have noticed a real theme uh, in some of our songs this morning about uh, our worship and they're very God-focused today. Uh, that's because this first thing we're going to talk about is the idea of worship. And what does it mean uh, to worship God? What does it mean to respond to God? What does it mean to, to express uh, our appreciation, our love our engagement to God. And so if you'll look at Psalm 100, we're going to dive into that and then uh, take that a step further and see how the early church uh, in the New Testament took that concept of worship and brought it down to the local level um, in community. And so Psalm 100 says this, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Now, this psalm, uh, ironically, or maybe amazingly is maybe the right word, is the only psalm that is specifically mentioned as a psalm of giving thanks. 
Now, all the other psalms, many of them have some concepts of thanksgiving. They mention thanks. But this is the only one out of the 150 that specifically is a psalm to give thanks. The great preacher from the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon, said it this way. He said about this psalm, Nothing can be more sublime, more wonderful, more enjoyable Nothing can be more sublime this side of heaven than singing this noble psalm. And we have a song that we have, right? Enter his gates with thanksgiving. We used to sing it. If you're in church, you know, decades ago. We sang it. But, but, but there's nothing more great than, than singing. And this, this passage, this psalm is pretty straightforward. It's about praise. It's about thanksgiving. It's about worship. And, and so the question that you and I need to ask as we think about experiencing the abundant life and helping others experience abundant life, what does it mean to worship? How, how do I show appreciation to God? How should I worship what, what should that look like? What, what, what are the components to that? What, what are, what's the dynamic of, of what worship is about? Is it just sort of showing up on Sunday at 11 and, and sort of getting my hour in and, and I'm good and, and we sing a few songs and we read a few passages and we talk about things that are happening in life at the church and then we go to lunch? What, what is worship really about? Well, this psalm is a great model for us. Because he, he launches out, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Now, that's an imperative. And all you English majors means the command. So the question is, did you actually do that this morning over these last 20 minutes? Did you make a joyful noise? And, and let me encourage you because I, I make a joyful noise. And if you're ever watching at home like some of you are doing today, uh, I just turned my mic off, see, as an illustration of that. There have been a few times where I've had my microphone on during our worship time. And some of our more astute, astute worshipers at home, particularly one of our ladies who's in the choir, she happened to be home one day, she's commenting, I think Pastor David's mic is on. <laughs> so, and here's the response afterwards. Well, Pastor, it wasn't terrible, That means it was bad. <laughs> right, not terrible, but, but, but like a D plus. You know, you, you're not failing, but we're sure not having you do it. Regularly, please. <laughs> Tech booth, please help him, okay? And, and, but but the, the concept is not, you know, can I do it well? It's can I do it with joy, and so... How do I worship? Well, I, I should shout with joy. Shout with joy. There, there, this is a, a glad shout. A, 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 sort of the volume is up. It's not, it's not necessarily a scream, but, but it's, it, it's an excitement to be a part of the, the family of God, to be a part of faith, to, to express how much I love God because I know how much he loves me. It, it's like that when something great happens, you're like, yes. Or, or, you know, old school Baptist church, we had one of our dear saints here at our church that anytime there was a good point before he went to be with Jesus, 
he would say amen. And in our early service, after he passed away, several men came and said, I guess some of the rest of us got to pick up the slack where he left off because, because it, was, it, was a, it was an excitement like, yes, well, I, I want to respond to the things of God. I, I want to give a hearty amen. I want to be cheerful in my worship. And, and we're great. Like part of the reason today is, is we watch our teams and oftentimes we shout at things. The TV when it comes to our teams, we, we shout at the TV, we shout at each other, we shout at one another behind a keyboard. We do a lot of shouting at. The idea of worship is to shout with, to, to celebrate the joy and the goodness of God. And, and so if you want to be a, a, a person of worship, then shout with joy. Don't, don't, don't just stand there, sort of hands in the pocket, you don't have to be a great singer. You don't have to be a loud singer. But there needs to be a joy that comes with it from within you because the joy of the Lord lives in you. And so let the rest of the world see that. Let the rest of the world see that. Let, let the body of Christ see that. Shout with joy. And then he says to serve the Lord with gladness. That, that word serve is actually a very similar word to worship. So it's like worship with gladness, but we do that by serving. So serving is worshiping. So I, I'm going to serve. I, I'm going to give my life away. I'm going to serve the Lord by serving others. It's, it's very similar to what Jesus says in Matthew 25 when he talks about the least of these about how when people served the least of these, they were actually serving the Lord and they didn't even know it. So there's something unique about serving one another, about serving God, about coming with this attitude of humility. That's what a servant is, is a person who comes with humility to honor somebody else, to, to lift somebody else up. And so when you and I honor others above ourselves, when we serve people, when we serve our King Jesus, we demonstrate worship. We, we serve with gladness. We enter his courts with praise. And so I want to shout with joy. I want to serve with gladness. And, and I want to gather with others to celebrate his goodness. That, that's why we come on Sunday mornings. You know, a lot of people are like, well, the pastor just wants us to show up. Well, yes, that's true. Like, I want you to be here. Makes me feel good. Right? But, but that's really not the big thing. The big thing is we're, we're called as a people of faith to gather as a people of faith. There's something unique and special about being together. Christianity was never designed to be lived in isolation by yourself. It, it, is, a re, it is a relationship, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and it's a relationship with one another. And so you cannot thrive. You, you can't experience worship fully when you're, if you're by yourself all the time. You, you can't do it. God's designed you to be with others and, and to hear the voices of others celebrate the goodness of God, to shout with joy, to declare his goodness. And so that we come together to collectively thank God, to, to experience his word, 
and, and to join together in service so that we may see our world differently, so that we may help others see the full life that's in Christ. That's why we gather together. That, that's why we do that, so we can collectively celebrate the goodness of God. And you know what happens when, when those three things occur, when, there, when there's an excitement, when there's a joy, when there's a joyful noise, when, when we're serving one another and serving the Lord, when we've come together as a group of people, something happens to us. And, and the psalmist recognized that. Because when all this happens, he says there in verse 3, know that the Lord is. Know that the Lord, he is God. There's something unique when you and I come together that we experience who God is for real. We, we experience who he is. We know that he's our creator. He made us. We know that he's our redeemer. We're his sheep. We, we've listened to his voice as the good shepherd and we've come to follow him to new life. And so those ideas are reinforced and we understand that and we embrace it even more fully. And then we get to together declare, no matter how life is going in the moment, because some of you life is great right now and some of you life is not so good. But when we gather as a people, when we worship together, we can declare, we know that the Lord is good. We know of his love. It lasts forever. We know that he's faithful. These ideas get reinforced when you and I come together in worship. When you and I come together to acknowledge the goodness of God. When we come together to acknowledge his faithfulness. When we come to, to declare that he is creator and redeemer that I wouldn't have life and life abundant without him, without his <clears throat> sacrificial love on the cross that sent Jesus Christ to die for my sins. I, I, I wouldn't know that love. I wouldn't be experiencing it. And so how are you worshiping? How are you drawing others into experience the love of God, to, to know of his goodness? Well, the New Testament helps take that idea and they bring it down to a very localized level. In the early church, the New Testament church, lots of people came to faith in Christ uh, after Peter preached at Pentecost. So the church was established, lots of things happening, lots of new Christians. And like, what do we do with all these people? How do we handle this? Like, we all understand temple worship. They all went to the temple and still worshiped. But, but how do we take this large group of people, over 3,000 people, and, and how do we help narrow that so that we can actually not just be worshipers, but that we can actually have relationship with one another. We can connect and grow together. So I want you to turn your Bible to Acts chapter 2, all the way in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2, I'll give you a second. I had my tab already there, so it's pretty quick. But... but one of the challenges that we face in the church is that, is that we can easily gather people in a room and we have space for that, but, but that's not the extent of what it means to live the abundant life, to just simply come and, and worship and declare God's goodness, to receive God's love, to be encouraged and challenged, to, to speak, because that's what worship is, speaking the truths of who God is. 
responding to his love. That's, that's worship is, is a response to his love. But, but somehow we have to take that idea of worship and, and also engage others with it because we're, we're a, a faith that is designed to be in community. So how do we do that? Look at Acts 2.42. It says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, that's the worship part, every day, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want you to think about this moment here in history. Peter, the apostle, the disciple of Jesus, preaches this big sermon. Every, all these people from all different countries and languages come to faith in Christ. They kind of launch the church and then they start meeting together as sort of what we would call a house church. That was the, the model in the first century. We have a different model today. Most places do. But I want you to think about what was happening in these moments. They were still, they were still going to the temple for worship, for, for their gathering. They would still do that. See Psalm 100. They were doing that. But something else was happening while all this was going on. They were learning from each other. They were having life-on-life spiritual development. Now, the most senior Christian in this group was three years old. I want you to think about that for a moment. The disciples, the apostles of Jesus... They had been following Jesus for three years. They were the most seasoned believers out of this whole bunch. And they were the ones leading others to have life transformation, to, to teach and to grow and to learn. And so I want you to think about how long you've been following Jesus. For some of you, it's less than three years. For some of you, it's more than 30 years. So how are we as the church helping, as the early church did, provide that life-on-life spiritual mentorship, development, encouragement, spurring one another on, helping people experience life transformation? So all of us, have a responsibility. If you claim the name of Jesus, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, you and I need to be learning from one another. That means you need to be pouring into somebody else. Somebody else is pouring into you. We do that in our small groups on Sunday mornings, our Sunday school classes, our midweek groups, some other ways we do that. But, but how are you engaged in that? Because that's what was happening. That's how they took sort of the worship, the, the big group, and they made it very personal. Because they weren't just listening to the apostles' teaching, 
But they were also breaking bread and praying together. And breaking bread, yes, part of that was the Lord's Supper. But the other part of that was they were praying together. And they were just having meals together. So they would spend time with other believers, life on life, enjoying a meal together, encouraging one another, challenging one another the faith. Because guess what? They lived in a world, in a community. They lived in a community that was completely against them. Like totally against them. They didn't live in Friendswood or Pearland or League City or Alvin where everyone's kind of God conscious. No, they lived in a world that hated them. And so they encourage one another. And so how much more do we as, as live in a community that's sort of like, oh yeah, we're okay with God. Like we should be challenged even more to live differently to pour into one another so that we can help the world see the difference between abundant life like we think it should be and what Jesus says. And so they were discipling each other. They were challenging one another. They were engaged with one another in, in small groups, in homes. They were caring for each other. They met needs, and I don't see anywhere here or any of the rest of Scripture where comfort was involved in meeting needs. Somehow in the last few decades in the modern American church, comfort has become kind of our go-to theme. That, that we want to be comfortable in church. That's why we got these nice, cool new chairs for you. And we got, you know, the pews no longer, because the pews were comfortable as long as you didn't have a long-winded preacher. And, and so, like, we get this, but, but everywhere you see in the New Testament, particularly here, is they were selling their possessions, and most of the believers in that era were not the wealthy. They, they were, like, middle class and below, and they were selling all their stuff so that people would have their needs met. Uh, one lady came up to me after the first service and just a great testimony of this. She said, I was having some car issues and finances are a little crazy right now. And one of our church members uh, told me about a local car repair place that's connected to our church. And so I took my car there and then that lady paid for my car repairs. I was like, how awesome is that? Like, how, how amazing is that? It, it's, it's not about our comfort. It's about us opening our eyes and seeing the needs. And they willingly gave up their possessions so that they could meet the needs. They're, they're, on, friends, they're on Facebook Marketplace selling their stuff to meet the needs. That's the modern-day equivalent. That's what they're doing. So that you and I could have our needs met. They cared for each other. Somehow we, we've, we've exchanged care for our own comfort. And so we no longer look to the needs of others. And we focus only on ourselves. And if you don't meet my need, then I'm going to blast you or block you. And we've, we've somehow reversed the truth. Because God calls us to be people of sacrifice for the sake of others. And so they were discipling one another. They were caring for each other. They were worshiping together, see above. And they were witnessing to everyone they came in contact with. I, this is perhaps my, one of my favorite lines in all of the Bible. We're going to get to my real favorite verse in a few weeks. But th this is one of my favorite lines in all the Bible. Verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. 
I want to encourage you, church family, the greatest compliment you could ever get is for a pagan to really like you. That's the greatest thing that could ever happen to you is for a person who is so against the gospel, so against the truth of Jesus Christ, but, but you are winsome to them, that you have favor with them, that you've gained a, 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 an ear to them, that they're listening to what you have to say because of how you live, how you speak, how you act, how you engage them. They had favor with all people, and they lived in a melting pot of a place. And they had favor with people. They were witnessing to anyone and everyone who would listen, and that is our calling as a local church, is we need to be sharing. If we're going to in community together, we need to be telling our story and the story of our friends of how we came to faith in Christ. How we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by him. Because it's wonderful for all of us to gather here and to worship, to lift our voices, to hear the word proclaimed. But there's something very special about the church living in community so that the world can see it. There's something about us meeting needs, something about us caring for one another, something about us being able to share stories of how God does miracles with our coworkers, our friends, our classmates, and because we're paying attention. We're actually listening to the stories of our fellow believers, and we're using that as encouragement for us to be able to share with someone else who doesn't have faith. And what did God do? He added their number every day, those who are being saved. When you and I as the church, when we connect with God and we connect with each other, not just do we have our needs met, spiritual and physical, not just is there great joy like we've experienced this morning in worship and there's excitement and truth, but lives are changed forever. What a deal. What, what, what a thing to be a part of that someone's life could be changed forever because of your testimony. Because of something you said to them, their life is changed forever. Doesn't everyone want to experience that? Yes, I hope. I hope that you want to be a part of lives changed forever. And to do that, part of how we have to live is be people of worship. How we have to be people that are connected to one another and connected to those outside the faith. And so I want to share with you in these closing moments some, some things that we've been praying about as a church as we look at these two ideas specifically, worship and connection. Uh, we, we've shared this idea with some of our key leaders uh, called our ministry council, which is our leaders of our uh, different uh, committees and our ministries like men's ministry, women's ministry, greeter, all those things. Uh, we, we've shared that with it. We shared it with our Sunday school leadership. But this is an idea that we've been praying about uh, over the last few months, and, and I want you to, to pray with us about it. Some of you, if you were at the business meeting a few weeks ago and we voted to approve our budget and uh, sell Dunn Brothers, by the way, that's if you weren't here last week, uh, we're doing that. Um, if you didn't know we owned it, well, great. Um, we do. Uh, just the building and the land. Um, but we're going to leverage those dollars for great kingdom work. I'm excited about the future. But here's something we've been praying about uh, as a church. Uh, and, and 
We, we want you to join us in praying about how we can more effectively worship and connect with one another, particularly when it comes to helping our families uh, in our worship and small group schedule on Sunday mornings. And so guys, go ahead and just throw it up there. We're calling it the sandwich model uh, because what's in the middle matters, uh, right? That's true of a sandwich. It's the ham, the turkey, you know, the cheese, lettuce, tomato, that matters, bread, people love it, but you know, I want the meat. Um, so one of the things that we're thinking about doing is, is changing our Sunday morning schedule. So we want you to pray along with us uh, about, this is not going to happen, we, we're months and months away from this, but we want you to, to pray uh, with us, that we would have an 8.30 worship service. So currently, we have a 9.30 worship service that would move to 8.30. And during that hour, we would offer uh, extended teaching care for our preschoolers, that's birth to four-year-olds. And so if you don't currently serve in preschool ministry, let me encourage you to pray about that. Someone I happen to live with, um, this schedule, if it happens, will greatly affect her. She's a volunteer in that area. Uh, and so maybe this is God's call in your life to serve in preschool ministry. So we'll have a worship service. Then all of us, birth through senior adult, we will all be in Sunday school, connect group. You can sort of mill around that idea, connect group uh, in your mind, together at the same time. So a preschooler, a third grader, a ninth grader, young adult, senior adult, we'll all be in, in connect groups together at the same time. In our individual classes, all over campus, all that. So we'll all be together. It'll provide us some opportunity to have multi-generational classes. Uh, it'll also help our families that currently attend 930, um, that have younger children, to not have this crazy schedule that doesn't actually match. Uh, and so we'll all be in Sunday school, connect group together. I'll say both for a while, and then one of those words will disappear. Uh, and then at 11, we'll do worship together in here like you're doing today. Um, and then we'll have kids worship. Right now, our kids worship occurs at 930. Their Sunday school is at 11, so they're going to flip. Uh, kids worship at 11 for kindergarten through third. Fourth graders and up will be in worship together. And, and so this is something we've been praying through because we believe it helps uh, some of our families uh, be together. Uh, we also have started, if you have a, a preschooler, an elementary student, junior high or high school student, you need to know that all of those groups are now uh, studying the same curriculum. So if you have a third grader and an eighth grader, when they come home after Sunday school or after church today, you say, hey, what did you learn today? They should both tell you very similar things. Okay, so make the eighth grader go first. because he or she will want to say less, um, I promise. Um, and, and so I want you to pray as we think about worship and connection as a church. Uh, we're praying through this idea of, of potentially changing our Sunday morning schedule. We have a, a couple of other ideas that are milling around as well, but we want you to pray with us uh, as our church family. There will be some sacrifice, um, less sacrifice on this group, um, when it comes to your actual attendance, but maybe more sacrifice when it comes to service. 
um, because we're going to need some folks to help serve in some additional areas if this uh, pans out, um, particularly in preschool areas, uh, but also in kids. Um, and so I want you to pray with us about this as we look uh, to 2024 uh, if this change happens. And so uh, we believe strongly that we are designed to worship our Savior, to respond to Him uh, because of His great love, and we're designed to be connected to one another. And so we want to maximize those moments, uh, particularly on Sunday morning, where we can rub shoulders with other believers so that we can have the best atmosphere uh, to worship together. So today, as our response time, I want to invite you simply today to think about the goodness of God. Uh, I'm going to be down here worshiping alongside you. But if there's a, a need that you have, if you want to come and pray, maybe something today, you, you know somebody in your world has a need and, and God's prompted you that you're going to meet that need, I invite you to come and pray and, and do business with God. But, but this morning, I want us uh, as a body of believers, as a local community of faith, I want us to worship our Savior together, to lift our voices in song, uh, to shout with joy as we celebrate our Savior. Will you bow with me?